0: Gary. will be preaching next week on uh, envy, I believe, and then we'll be getting into a series on um, the life of Abraham. So we're excited about all those things coming up. There are pastor friends of ours that send their greetings from Rwanda. We just got back this past week from our our trip to Rwanda, and uh, Pastor Salafio, I call him the godfather, he sends his greetings. Uh, His son, Jean-Baptiste, and so many other pastors. We had about 60 pastors at this conference along with uh, children's Bible clubs and youth clubs and sports ministry. It was just an amazing time. And I'm going to share a little bit about that time toward the end of our, our, our time together. So we spent the last three months here in the book of Proverbs, covered a variety of topics, uh, gaining wisdom and understanding. And today we're going to look at a topic that, as soon as I saw the list of topics on Proverbs, those pastors were looking at the list before anybody could grab this one, I snatched it up, because I really, I really love talking about this topic and, and really studying for myself, because oftentimes I'm convicted of my need to carry out justice. When we think about the word justice as it pertains to our time today, we're not necessarily talking about uh, balancing the scales, maybe when you think about a judge's court, per se, but when we're talking about justice, it's maybe a little bit different than what we think about. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You think we could use some of that in our world today? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, if you've never read it, please immediately go pick a copy up. It's one of my, my most favorite books I've ever read in my life. Generous Justice. He explains the concept in regards to justice and he explains it like shalom. And he talks about shalom and the idea behind it of God setting things back to how they ought to be. We all have an experience of of what we think things ought to be. And if we look in God's Word, we see uh, how they started and how we long for those times to go back to where they ought to be. And he says, Reweaving shalom means to sacrificially thread, lace, and press your time, goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs of others. Take some time to reread that slowly. That we have the opportunity through gospel justice based on God's character to sacrificially, notice that key word, sacrificially, which goes along with our core values here at TBC, living a life of sacrifice, we thread, lace, and press our time, goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs of others. Also on the topic of justice, Jonathan Edwards in his His long paper, The Duty of Charity to the Poor, he states, "...to love our neighbor as ourselves is the sum of the moral law respecting our fellow creatures, and to help them, and to contribute to their relief is the most natural expression of this love. It is vain to pretend to a spirit of love to our neighbors when it is grievous to us to part with anything for their help. They who love only in word and not deed have no love in truth." You can look in the Gospel of John, you look at 1 John, all throughout these chapters you can see commands to act in love, sacrificial, deep love that oftentimes can cause us harm, can get in our way, can get in the way of our scheduled things that we have going on, but to put pause on those and to sacrifice our time, our energy, and resources for the sake of others. We're looking at the book of Proverbs, and we're going to get into that, but there's so many great verses on this topic, we need to look at one more here, a set of verses in Psalm 146. If you turn to Psalm 146, verses 5 through 9, there's a powerful set of verses that we can read on this topic. Psalm 146, 5-9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. Oftentimes, especially lately, we see that wickedness seems like it rules. Wickedness seems like it runs this show right now. But when you read these scriptures, these scriptures are timeless, and they show us that God is on his throne, that God is in control, and he loves the oppressed. He looks for justice for the oppressed, for the sojourner, for the hungry, for the needy, for the widow, for the fatherless. And how is that supposed to be accomplished? Does it magically happen? All of a sudden, God starts zapping people and saying, all right, you're free from jail. Okay, you're not hungry anymore. Oh, here's a father for you, right? That would be pretty cool if he did that. But no, he's chosen us, the body of Christ, to be his hands, his feet, his mouth that speaks and acts on behalf of what he's said In his word. So let's look at Proverbs and see what it teaches us about gospel justice. So there's four things that pursuing gospel justice does to us. Oftentimes we want to know what can we do? What can I do? And when I take people to Rwanda or to Galveston or whatever it is, someone comes to volunteer at the Outback, they're like, What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? But before I can do anything, I need the Word of God to do something to me. Because if the Word of God doesn't do something to me and change my heart, then all it is is a bunch of empty action. And trying to earn something and trying to maybe get a pat on the back or something like that. But if I'm not changed first by the Word of God, then it's kind of wasted effort. So first of all, pursuing gospel justice, it wrecks our desire for comfort. It wrecks our desire for comfort. Proverbs 31, 19 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You know, speaking up may cost you. it definitely cost you on Facebook, but a lot of social media. But that's not what he's talking about here necessarily but speaking up for the rights of the unborn, speaking up for those who are hurting and in need, speaking up for those maybe that are downcast in society or ostracized or even put to the side in a group that maybe they don't belong with us type of attitude. Speaking up can oftentimes mess our comfort level up. And sometimes we just keep quiet to continue on in our life without ruffling any feathers, without causing any discord. And the reality is, we are called to open our mouths, to defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 22 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Bountiful eye. I love how Solomon puts these things, but for us to understand that, a bountiful eye is simply giving generously. Is us saying, God has blessed us with so much to do what? To keep it? To hide it away? To, to save it and, and someday have some great retirement? No offense to those that are saving for retirement. But is, is that the goal with the things that God has blessed us with? He says here, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. And you know what? Sometimes that can mess your comfort level up. You know, you meet with that financial advisor and he's like, this is what you need to do to get to here someday, right? Whatever that is. where you can sit around and watch infomercials all day. I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. But whatever that is, that goal that guy pitches you, Right? And he says, someday you'll get here and you can do this with your life with free of worry and all these things that, sorry for your financial advisors out there, excuse me. Uh, But the reality is this, life isn't about being comfortable someday. It's not. It's not about you sitting around enjoying uh, lemonade every day on your back porch for the rest of your life. No offense to lemonade. Lemonade. I love lemonade. But the reality is our lives are not to be about comfort. Our society tells us that and tells us to make ourselves comfortable. I was on a plane to Rwanda and for a moment I was a little upset they got my seat wrong. I was supposed to have bulkhead so I could stretch my legs out. Instead, I was kicking a seat in front of me. I was, it was messing with my comfort level. I'm supposed to be able to stretch my legs out right now. What's wrong with this situation, right? So in the process of even planning for this sermon, my comfort level. Oh, wow. And you're like, that's no big deal, Tim. At the time, it was. God messes with our comfort. He wrecks our desire for comfort. Number two, pursuing gospel justice. It also destroys our pride. Pursuing gospel justice destroys our pride. Proverbs 28, 7 states, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. It's an interesting statement there. Someone who hides his eyes. You ever been in a a situation where there's maybe a poor person that you see or someone begging, potentially up here somewhere by Cracker Barrel? To bring it more personally. Not anybody, but there. And you're at the light. Or people walk by you looking for money and they walk by your little window over here and you're driving and kind of look that way. Are they gone yet? Are they still there? Are they looking right at me? The idea of hiding our eyes, now that's a Literal example of it, but the idea isn 't just a literal thing, but the idea can be just a mindset of, of not being bothered, not being bothered or being so filled with whether it 's entertainment or something like that that i, I can 't really see the needs of others in front of me that i 'm blinded to the needs of people that are all around me, and the idea of being Hidden from our eyes is this idea, and there's a number of things, maybe the idea of I'm better than you. You're not worthy of my time or my agenda is most important. So oftentimes our pride can hide our eyes from those who need our time most, those who need our energy most, those who need our resources most. But because we sit here, And maybe we look down here, our pride gets in the way. But pursuing this gospel justice just destroys that idea and even ability to have pride because we see that we need God's justice as well. We need to have hope. We need to have peace. And us being blessed with that is the opportunity to give it to someone else. And so it destroys our pride. And then also, pursuing gospel justice keeps us centered on our foundation. If you look at the Proverbs, you see so many times in Scripture, and I just have four different ones here under this heading, that have the Lord in it. The Lord. It keeps saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, and it's a powerful set of verses. Proverbs 19:17 states, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his, need, his deed." I had to slide a psalm in here too. Psalm 37: 27 and 28 states, "Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints." Then Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. Crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Pretty powerful statement. And then Proverbs 28, 5 states, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So if we're going to pursue gospel justice, we have to see that God lives there. And it's not something I go do over here and then I come back here to center. I go out and I deliver justice and then I come back to my everyday life. The reality is your foundation is God. God lives in justice. You should be living in justice. This is you, who you are Living out your faith. Jesus Christ is the foundation of justice. Mark gave us a great verse that talks about his presence and the fact that Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock, the foundation we build our life on. And that's what he was all about. Justice. The poor. The needy. The outcast. The people no one else wanted to hang out with. Here's Jesus. You want to know His heart? You want to feel His presence? Be a part of justice. Live it out. That's where He is. That's who He is. That is the foundation, is gospel justice. God and justice, they're unquestionably tied together. He is our foundation for everything, including gospel justice. And then also, pursuing gospel justice brings us together in community. Pursuing this justice binds us together. I don't know if I've ever seen more close-knit people together than those who are on a team together, so to speak, unified in a goal for seeking gospel justice. Whether it's locally here, people working at CTLC, Feed My Sheep, Helping Hands, all these different Body of Christ Clinic, all these different places. But you see people serving and loving others together. There's a unity that comes that can't be described. We go to Galveston and we see a bunch of junior high kids on spring break who normally would be going somewhere else just entertaining themselves or having fun and goofing off and and in some ways maybe wasting their time. I don't know, possibly, Fortnite, maybe. But instead, what do we see? These kids coming together with a common goal, common purpose of seeking justice for others and serving one another in the process. And there's this unity that takes place that can only be, be described when you look at Scripture and you see this bond that we have based on our foundation. And we can look at a few verses here in Proverbs and then also one in Isaiah. Proverbs 29.7, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Community brings us into an understanding of the needs that are out there. So many of you small groups represented out there have taken time and continue to take time to bond together and come together in community based on the needs in our society. So it's a great thing to see as you understand the rights of the poor, you understand them better in community. Proverbs 22, 2, the rich and the poor, they meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. His idea and his plan is for the rich and the poor to be in community together. Not to have a small group over here with just the rich people, and then over here, maybe have a, a small group over here with people with not so much, but instead in community, coming together to serve and to love others. You know, pursuing this goal of carrying out justice, it also reconciles us to one another. Proverbs 14:21: "Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor." He who despises his neighbor is a sinner. So when we're talking about justice, we're talking about a lot of different things. And I know it's one Sunday morning to cover a huge topic. But we see it can be our neighbor down the street, our next door neighbor, it can be our community. Our neighbors exist in different spaces. Isaiah 117, whoever uh, sorry, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This past Wednesday it was a, a great joy, although I was jet lagged, to show up at the outback and to see all of our students hanging out with a ministry called New Song at, uh, at TBC, which is a ministry to widows. See our junior high kids sitting at tables playing bingo with these widows, those that have lost husbands, and to see the joy in their faces and to hear them thank these kids for, for playing with them and seeing them get prizes and things like that. It was just something small, but it was such a joy to, to watch and to see this carried out, this command to plead the widow's cause, this command to to look out for those that are hurting. And it was a simple thing, but a lot of fun to watch. Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You know, living in an isolated, me-centered life ends up biting you in the end. Getting involved in community and and, and the part of the body of Christ, but also in a smaller community, helps you come together and live out justice and live out meeting the needs of those who are hurting. There's a book that I read recently. You might want to pick up, but if you do, just I just give you a fair warning; it'll mess you up. Uh, it's called Unclean uh, by Richard Beck. And in his book, he starts out. Uh, he starts out with a really weird illustration, but I. I love weird things, and I'm a little weird myself, so I don't mind that. And he starts off with this Dixie Cup illustration. And he says uh, in, his, in the beginning of the book, and kind of grab your attention, he says, he talks about uh, saliva. And he says, all right, this is kind of strange, but I'm going to go with this. And he says, why is it okay for saliva to be in your mouth and swallow it? Why is that okay? But if I do this, I put it in the Dixie cup, and then I, and someone says to me, all right, now drink it. You good? All right. So, Teresa, I like to mess with her germaphobe. Uh, so, so we say, drink it. Why is it that this stuff that was just in your mouth a second ago, is unclean now, and you can't drink it. Like the air, the part it, you get and we're not doing all this, and so I'm just saying basic, just come on down here, right? <laughs> just simple understanding of disgust. He tries to help us understand disgust. So we don't mind swallowing what is on the inside, but we're disgusted by swallowing something that's outside, even if, It's something that was inside just a second ago. The author goes on to explain the meaning behind the Dixie Cup illustration. He references Matthew 9 and the problem that the Pharisees have with Jesus picking a tax collector for his team and also hanging out with a bunch of sinners, eating dinner with them, drinking with them, having fun with them, community with sinners. And he talks about this a little bit and. He goes on to quote Arthur McGill in his book Death and Life in American Theology. He says, Americans devote themselves to expunging from their lives every appearance, every intimation of death, all traces of weakness, debility, ugliness, and helplessness from every part of a person's life. We pretend that the lives we live are not intrinsically mortal. Richard Beck goes on to say, disgust motivates us to avoid and push away reminders of vulnerability and death in both others and ourselves. What is needed to combat this illusion is a church willing to embrace need, decay, and vulnerability. This concept gave me <laughs> the biggest gut punch of my life when I was reading this book. It hit me so hard because it was a personal thing when I was thinking about uh, losing Candace's mom recently. Two years back, she got cancer and passed away. And in the process, uh, she was going downhill pretty fast. And so having a bunch of kids uh, here and her being in Beaumont, I chose, you know, I'm going to do the thing that I should do as a husband and a father and stay here and and be with my kids so my wife could be with her, her mom. But in the process, I allowed this to be, somewhat of an excuse to not look death in the face and to not, to not be part of that process of grieving and to even see decay and vulnerability. See, I don't know about you, but uh, I think about that, that movie Inside Out a lot. You ever see that movie? If you haven't, check it out. It's a really good movie. But it describes our personalities and the different things that we go through. And some of us anger and, and anger. His, his uh, head blows up, you know, in the movie. And it's just a picture of our brains and what goes on inside of it put to characters. And so one of the characters in that movie, and this is so much like my life, is what I'm trying to say, is that there's a, there's a character called Sadness. And this character is like, when you're first watching the movie, you're like, Oh, just get rid of her. She's just so depressing. It's just everywhere you go, everything she touches is sad. Everything she she does is reminding you of, of things that have happened in the past. And I don't know about you, but my personality is no, let's get rid of her. Vote her off the island. We don't want sadness. She's annoying. But if you watch the movie to the end, you actually see that she was the key to this little girl because having these moments of sadness and hurt and pain and vulnerability is what made her human. And for our context, maybe not the creators of Inside Out, but for our context, it draws us to the savior but we want to get rid of put people away get not not see them for who they are we don't we want to clean them up clean up the situation don't make it look so messy or just not be around it so much when god's calling us to sit down and be in it and sit in the mess Sit in the smell. Sit in the hurt. Sit in the pain. That's what our Savior did. And that's what He's calling us to do. So our main goal in carrying out justice should never be to appease our guilt, to look good on social media, even to feel good about ourselves. Sometimes when I take a a student on a trip or maybe my, my own child... Uh, someone tells me, in a, in a nice way, they mean well, but they say, oh, that must have been a good experience. And I know what they mean, so I don't you know, just make fun of them to my face, but I know what they mean. They mean well, but the reality is doing these things isn't about the experience. It's not about what it makes you feel. It's not about how it made you feel. Doing these things are, are part of who you are, and sometimes they make you feel horrible. Make you feel dirty. They take your time, and it's an inconvenience. It's not a good experience in a way. Now, ultimately, drawing you to the Savior is a great experience, but at the time, sometimes it's a mess, but that's what we're called to, and You see Jesus, Jesus living his life. And if you turn to Luke chapter 4, we'll finish in these scriptures. Luke chapter 4, Jesus introduces himself. And he's getting ready to introduce himself uh, to the religious leaders. And he had just come off his, just growing up in his youth. And here he is in Luke chapter 4. Verse 17, notice how Jesus introduces himself quoting the prophet in the synagogue at the beginning of this ministry. Here he goes. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a bold statement. He's about to wreck his comfort level. That statement was fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That statement of gospel justice was fulfilled in our Savior. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you never embraced Him as your Savior and King, then it's difficult for you to carry out gospel justice. You can carry out justice, but that's why I added the word gospel. You can carry out good works and make yourself feel good. But true gospel justice is only found in those who have trusted Jesus. As their savior, and only have him as their foundation. So we think about the idea that we started with this idea of gospel justice making crooked things straight. And it brings me to a great picture that you can see on the screen, I think, next. And it's a picture of the Godfather in the middle. His name is Salathio, and his wife uh, to the right uh, is Mary Rose. These two people live gospel justice better than most anybody I've ever met. And I heard a story about making crooked things straight last week that Salathiel shared through his son on the far left, Jean-Baptiste, through an interpreter. He brought this lady up to me, and she stood on my left, and here's the godfather, and here's Baptiste, and he's telling me this story. And he goes on to say That this woman uh, came to the church and she came to know Jesus through Mary Rose, his wife. And what they do is, when you lead someone to Christ, you are called their godmother if you're a woman, and a godfather if you're a man. So this woman, Mary Rose, the pastor's wife, became this lady's godmother. Then Salathiel goes on to say that her husband was a Muslim, and for years he didn't come to church; wouldn't ever even about coming into their building, but through prayer and through the testimony of different people that have come over from TBC and showed God's love with a big fat smile on their face, guess what? Crooked things became straight and Salathiel was able to to lead this guy to Christ. Right now, you should be clapping. You should be standing something. Seriously. This man who is on his way to hell, apart from God, following something that was a false religion, crooked things became straight because of gospel justice. And the witness of this man who lives it out. Then he goes on to bring his little boy in And uh, he's like two years old, and and he he puts some pressure on me and says, We want you to be his godfather. Like, does that mean I need to, like, move here and, like, make sure he comes to faith? Because that's the only way I can be his godfather. Uh, But I don't know how that'll work out. But anyway, we saw that testimony of these crooked things becoming straight, what ought to be coming to reality. And God's kingdom coming alive in this community. You know, I want to see action from you and from myself. I want to inspire you to seek justice and act on that inspiration. But instead, today, I really want us just to ask God to search and know our hearts, to see if there's things in the way of us being people of justice. I want us to be convicted of the tendency and temptation toward comfort and excuses and begin to embrace a radical life of seeking out justice at the expense of our scheduled activities, our habits, our usual friends, and entertainment with those most like you. I want us to discover the passion that Jesus had for the orphan, the stranger, the immigrant, the poor, the widow, the person not of your race, and many others who need to see the gospel lived out in a different way before their very eyes. This is what we need this morning. A heart check. So that's what we're going to do. I just want to take some time now for us to pray. And really let God do a work in our hearts and convict us of our need for more of Him, the King of gospel justice. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before You thankful that You don't leave us alone in our sin, in our comfort, in our pride, but You blow that up and You push us to something deeper something that calls us into things that are inconvenient in our own eyes. But man, do they bring great joy, lasting joy. As you sit there in your seat today, just take the time to talk to God. Ask for the Spirit to search your heart. Maybe confess things that you've allowed to get in the way of living out justice. Maybe you don't know the Savior. You came here this morning not knowing who Jesus was. And I want you to know that you can take time right now, allow the Spirit to convict you of your need for a Savior. And in your seat, you can call on his name to come into your life and transform you. The forgiveness is already there for your sin. Lord, we, uh, we come before you this morning as people who are broken. You understand us. You created us. Our tendency is toward comfort, to please ourselves. Lord, I confess to you that desire and living out that desire instead of giving my time for others. Help us, God, to be a body of Christ that shines its light bright in this community that people will be able to say you are great because of what the people here do for others and how they love others. And that our lives that our small groups, our families will be ones who point constantly to you through our actions. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the week we're going to have living this out. In your name we pray, Amen.